Genesis. We've been in Genesis for a year now, and we just continue going through the book. It's such a, an awesome study, and I'm really in, encouraged by your attendance. Your attendance on these Wednesday night studies is a real encouragement to me. I study all day on Wednesday, sometimes a little on Tuesday, to prepare for tonight. And it's, it's really a pleasure that I have to study God's Word, but I'm so grateful that you're responding and coming and, and you're involved in this study. So thanks for coming. With your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 19, uh, we're going to look at this story that's, that's really well known. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, people know about this story that we're going to look at tonight. It's all about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but there's some really great um, application for us as believers, because we're going to see uh, one believer in his compromising ways and how it's really destroyed his family. We're going to see another counterfeit Christian, and we're talking about counterfeit Christians on Sunday morning in First John, but we're going to see a counterfeit Christian and what happens to her in this study. And so lots of great application, but uh, we're in Genesis chapter 19. Let's ask God's blessing with your Bibles open this evening. Father, as we come to your word, this Bible that we hold, the Holy Bible, this collection of 66 books written over a period of several thousand years by many different authors, with one major theme, the, the, your love for people and your people, the way you work and dispense your grace through your chosen ones, Old and New Testament, the way you work uh, as, as your people come to you by faith, turning away from idols. We're so grateful, Lord, that we have the explanation and the beginnings and the, uh, of all that you have uh, written and recorded in, in this wonderful book of beginnings. And so teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, so that we could be the children that honor you, that live according to your way, that obey you, people that respond, Lord, to you in love and adoration. I, I just pray, God, that you'd bless us tonight as we study chapter 19. We come to it now with reverence. We lift it up high. We believe it's the truth, and we ask that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we are in chapter 19. Last week, you recall the end of chapter 18. I broke it up into two studies, but the end of chapter 18 was all about um, Abraham being an intercessor for Sodom, really, and for his, his nephew Lot. And we had a wonderful and real precious time of intercession at the end of our study last week just to pray for those people. This Sunday morning, I'm going to do a study on lost people, and I hope that you're here. I'm going to divert from our first John study because I felt the Holy Spirit just, he's just really, really impressing upon my heart that we as a church need to reach the lost. We have to go outside the doors and, and reach the lost. And that's not just for the pastor to do. And that's not just for the many missionaries we support as a church, but it's the lost God's concerned for. And here we see this interesting story as Abraham begins to intercede for the people, and, he, and, he, and he's talking about the people there, and he says, listen, I know, God, that you're just, and I know that you deal, you deal justly and fairly with the righteous, but you also are just in bringing punishment on those that reject you. You wouldn't be a just God unless you did that. So God has punishment for the wicked, and he blesses the righteous, and that happens throughout the Bible, and this is really a great example of that as Abraham has begun to, he intercedes for his nephew Lot and the people of Sodom. 
And the reason he does this is because you recall there was this, there's a story of the two angels and the Lord who come to visit, they, want, they come to visit Sarah. She's behind the tent door and God is, is coming to her, really coming to Abram, but speaking to her and saying, you're going to have a baby. And she laughs, remember? This is all about God performing his covenant. He made a promise, and he always comes through with his promise. Abraham and Sarah tried to. They tried to make it happen because they didn't want to wait for the Lord. They tried, and they had a child. His name is Ishmael, the father of the heir of nations that have always been a thorn to Israel. And now he's coming to this tent in the form of a man with two angels in the form of men. These three men, they show up at Abraham's tent and, and uh, Abraham recognizes and has them in. He cooks a meal, they talk, and then the angel, or actually the Lord, it's the angel of the Lord, but it's Jesus Christ in my belief, who says that your wife's going to have a a son, and this is going to start the descendants. I promised you, I made this promise that, that your descendants would be like the dust of the earth, the stars of the sky. I, I made this covenant with you and your people. This is God reaching down into a Gentile, just ordinary home, Abraham. His father was an idolater, and he takes him out of that, and he forms his own special people. Later on in the New Testament, God's going to do another miraculous thing. It's known as the mystery in the Old Testament. He's going to put together all the Jews, believing Jews and Gentiles, into one entity called the, what's it called? The church, Acts chapter 2. And through the church, God dispenses his grace again. And the church's job is not to get together and be Pharisees and talk about theology and get fat heads. That's not what we're here to do. We want to learn and we want to grow. But our responsibility is to be obedient to Jesus, who before he left said, go into how much of the world? And to preach what? The gospel. That's what the church is all about. You see, I'm already fired up about Sunday morning. But, but here, here in this story today, um, we're going to get the outcome of, in Genesis chapter 19, the outcome of God's judgment against the wicked. But it starts with Abram, and he's interceding, and he's praying for, and he comes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, it's actually recorded there in verse 24 of chapter 18. Look at it with me. Suppose there were 50 righteous in the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for 50? Abraham knew that God was just. And that's why he makes his appeal to God's justice. Look at verse 25 at the end. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Why does Abraham know that God is just? Because Abraham's been a big blow it for the last 20-some years, not trusting the Lord, growing and maturing in his faith, yes, but he's made all these mistakes and he's sinning, and, but God is faithful and God has been just to him and he knows that God will forgive. He knows it. And so he makes this appeal. I just overheard you guys saying you're going to go destroy Sodom. That's where my nephew lives. I, Lord, Lord, are you really going to destroy it? What about 50 people? 50 righteous people, would you? I know you're just God. And then God answers. He answers there in verse 26. If I find Sodom, in Sodom, 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Again, that's God's heart. We see it in the New Testament. I just so want you as a Christian to, to get excited about the Bible, to love God's word, because in it we see the same God. When someone says to you that the God of the Old Testament was 
evil and wicked, and he destroyed people, and he was all about war. I mean, how many times have you heard that in the last, you know, 10 years today? We hear that all the time, but that's not the truth. See, they're not telling you the truth because God is faithful, and God is just, and because he's just, there has to be judgment. There has to be. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a just God, and Abraham knows he's just because he's lived in, in his life, by faith, he's lived with this God who has been just to him. God's heart has always been to extend grace and be forgiving. In fact, Second Peter in the New Testament, I love what Peter says here. This is really good. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering. So with those that are unfaithful, the wicked, the unrighteous, God, listen, he's long-suffering. And then he says, not willing that any should perish, but that all, all. I love that. Don't you love that? This is the heart of God. God doesn't choose some to go to hell and choose some to go to heaven. I understand the debate and the, and the argument, election and sovereignty of God. I understand it. I've read it. I've looked at it for years and years as a Christian. I might not be the smartest or the sharpest tack in the drawer, but I, I, I'm reading and learning, and I've discovered this truth in the Bible, that God does not want anyone to go to hell. And he wants you and I to be faithful to preach the gospel because that dirty, gnarly, sinning neighbor of yours is made in the image of God, no matter what their sin is, even a sin like homosexuality in the Bible, in, here in chapter 19. Because this, listen, Chapter 19 isn't about homosexuality. You heard me talk about that last week. It's not about homosexuality. It's about rejecting God. I'll prove that at the end of our, our study. But God wa doesn't want anyone to perish. The word perish in the old, the word perish in the Greek and the new, it both has to do with extinguish, to wipe out, to punish. That's, that's what that word has to do with. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not, what? Perish. Perish. The heart of God is to forgive. That's what we see all over the scriptures. And God is going to say the same thing here in chapter 18. He says, if there are 50 righteous, I'll spare them. That's, that's my heart. That's who I am. That's his nature because God is just. And he will not treat the righteous and the wicked the same. Because God is just, he will not treat the righteous and the wicked the same. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He's just. So there has to be punishment for the rejecter. There has to be punishment because he's a just God. That's what we see here. It's called the law of reaping and sowing in the New Testament. There's a law just like gravity. When I get out of bed in the morning and I pull my covers over my cold, freezing toes and I move my feet over the edge of the bed, guess which way they go, up or down? Which way? Why? Gravity. That's a law. The law of reaping and sowing is just as in effect as the law of gravity in nature. This law that God has put in place, here it is behind me, Galatians 6, Paul says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. The law of sowing and reaping throughout the scripture, it's because God is just that he punishes sin. If you sow 
It's bad stuff. If you sow sin, if you sow all these things in your life, guess what's going to come up? Guess what's going to grow as a result of all the seeds that you planted? What's going to grow? You're going to reap death. You're going to reap all kinds of pain and anguish and heartache because of what you're sowing. Sowing and reaping and God's justice kind of go together there. The problem for Sodom was that they had crossed the line. They had not only sown bad stuff, but they'd crossed the line that God had, had drawn really in the sand for, for all humanity. And verse 20 of chapter 18 says, The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave. They crossed the line. Their sin had cried up to the Lord. They were idolaters to the max. They were rejecting God. They lived the way they wanted to live. And it took them, it led them down this really, really evil path to doing all kinds of wicked things. And because they rejected God, they, God was going to judge them. So they, they reached this place where their sinfulness and their resistance to the truth called for nothing else but judgment. And you see that in the New Testament. We'll see that in the book of Revelation if you've ever studied it. We did the in-depth study of a year through Revelation here on Wednesday night a few years ago. If you want to get, get that, it's on a flash drive for like five bucks. You know, you can get all 50-something studies. And if you really want to get into Revelation, we did it here. But you realize, again, judgment is coming. God will judge sin. Now, this chapter we're looking at tonight is all the, about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is where we get the answer to the question, how many righteous? The question was posed in chapter 18, will you for 50? Will you for 45? How about 30, Lord? How about 10? And the Lord said, what did he say? For 10, I will not destroy Sodom. Remember, he said that. So, the, the, but it hasn't been answered yet. We get to chapter 19. And so how many righteous were in Sodom? The answer is striking, but let's get there. The story begins with my first point tonight. Lot sitting in Sodom's gates, verse 1. Now the two angels, they came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He recognized something about these two men. And he bowed himself with his face to the ground. That's an act of worship. Lot recognizes something about these two men. And he said, verse 2, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house. Come into my house and spend the night. Wash your feet that you might rise early and, and be on your way. And just don't, don't look at what's going on here. Don't pay attention to the, the man behind the curtain. Don't, don't look around right now. Just come in and eat and then leave in the morning. Lot knew something. He knew where he was living. He knew what was going on there. But he had compromised in every area of his life. He was living right in the middle of this sinful, wicked place that the outcry was so bad against these people that the Lord knew all about it. And he sent his angels to investigate Lot, he's in this, this steady progression of compromise throughout his life. We've seen it when he had the opportunity to, to take his herd and divide it from Abraham. Remember, there was a conflict within the family. And when there was this opportunity to go, he, he looked at the fertile soil. He looked at the green valley. He looked at where the water was. Oh, I can, I can make lots of money there. I can take my, my uh, herds there and water them. I'll, I'll be a rich man. I'm, he, thought, oh, he, he could only think about himself. He, 
then saw the people in Sodom, saw Sodom look good, a prosperous nation, didn't matter morality, what was going on there. He just saw it as a place to make money. So he moved there in Genesis 14. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 19, Lot was sitting in the gate, verse 1. That means he was a public official. That means he was the mayor of the city or the, one of the city officials. He, was, he had moved up the ladder politically. He had moved up the ladder in, in his uh, uh, monetary value, his financing. And he, he was a rich man and, and people went, went to him for counsel. And he's a man that had faith. He's a man that believed in God. And he's living in the middle of this people where up until chapter 18, Abraham reveals there, if there were 10, that city would be spared. We know the result. There weren't 10 there. There weren't 10 righteous people in that city. So when you read this story here, the first question you get was, did, was Lot faithful like Abraham? Had he, had he loved God? Was he, we could use the term saved, although it, it, it doesn't really, it's hard to fit it in that mold in the Old Testament, but, but I want you to think that way. Was Lot saved? Was, was he truly a believer? Did he, did he really follow God? Did he put his faith in, in God? Because he picked the best land selfishly. He made a lot of money. Uh, that was his whole goal in life. But was he ever really saved? Was he a follower of God? When I read this record here, I, I scratch my head and say, I don't think so. And, and it's really, really interesting. Because when you get to the New Testament, this man is mentioned in a very interesting way. Let me show you here in 2 Peter. Notice what Peter says. He says, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. In other words, he didn't like what was going on around him. For that righteous man, for that righteous man, did I say righteous man? Did you catch that? This is in the inspired writing in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit wrote this, okay? The, the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from, the, from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Lot was a, what kind of man was he? Righteous. A righteous man. Wow. A righteous man living in a wicked city. When you read that, I, I mean, it just shows you how uh, uninspired my view of him was. When God looks at a man, he doesn't look at the outside, he looks where? At the heart. So God knows him. God has worked in his life. And God sees him as a righteous man. It's obvious that he's been justified by faith, just like his uncle Abram, or Abraham, now that his name has been changed. In Genesis 15, 6, we read it, and he believed in the Lord. This is Abraham. And, and God accounted his belief as righteousness. That is how you were saved in the Old Testament. That is how you're saved in the New Testament, by faith in God, faith in Christ. He believed in God, and it was accounted to him as righteous. He was a righteous man. Interesting. He's a righteous man, but he's living a life of compromise. There's the application for you and I tonight. Are we living a life of compromise? My city's bankrupt. One of the more violent cities in America, wouldn't you say? I mean, I haven't experienced the violence here 
It was years ago when I was going, it was 1991, and John and I were going on a ministry trip to Australia when I had a gun stuck to my head by a, a crip from L.A., right down by the airport in L.A., stuck a gun in my head, told me he was going to kill me, stuck it in my ear. 45 minutes, I had a, the barrel of a gun in my ear, pushing, pushing on my head. But the Lord did so many wonderful things. I look back at that and say, thank God for that. People say, wow, yeah, how did you manage? I didn't manage. It was the Holy Spirit that managed. I would have fallen apart like anybody, but I have God. And John and I witnessed these people. It was really interesting the way it all worked out. They, the one ended up going to jail for life. The other one they never caught. He was the one that actually said that he wanted to listen to John as John was sharing Christ with him. <laughs> and then he finally, the guy in the front of the car stuck his gun in John Miller's face and said, shut up. And John shut up. And I mean, rightly so, Somebody does that to you. But he did hear the gospel in that meeting. But we live, we live in a pretty corrupt city, wouldn't you say? We have, you know what? We have a great mayor. Mayor Carey is really, really good. And uh, we have a great police chief, a Christian, a born-again brother in Christ, Jared Bergwan. We have a great uh, sheriff for our county. He's a born-again believer. We have some really great leadership in this town. And things are changing here. I hope that you're praying for this town. I hope that you really care about the place that you live and you're praying for it because God loves the lost. He loves people here. If you don't love these people here, if you just can't wait to get out of here, then I wonder if you're really saved. I wonder if you really have God's heart for the lost. In this, this story, again, we see that God has saved this man, but he's not acting saved. He's, he's living in a wicked city, and he's been compromising in his life, but he's still a righteous man. That's what the scripture says. Lot had moved to Sodom. He wanted to live the good life, and he'd done, he had done very well financially. He now had a house. He had this house. Come into my house, he said. And his house must have been fortified because we'll find out in this story that the, these, this mob of angry people couldn't get in, these old and young men that were trying to get the angel. They couldn't get in. So it must have been a big house. So he's made a, a fortune, and he's, he's done all, and he's sitting at the seat at the front of the gates, city gates. He's a public official at this point. But he's going to end up losing everything because of his compromise. The shocking thing in the story is, how quickly he offers his daughters to these wicked men. It's unbelievable. Notice my next point, Lot's compromising life. Verse 4, now before, before they lay down, remember it was night when the, they come, and Lot says, hurry, 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 here, get in here, get in here, don't, don't stay out here in the dark. And, and so before they lay down, the men of the city and the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, big house. And they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we might know them carnally. The sin of Sodom is, is homosexuality. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that in the New Testament, the Bible declares, the Old Testament, the Bible declares this is a sin. This conduct, the homosexual conduct is sin. Romans 1, 26, 27, you can write that down in your little notes. Leviticus 18, verse 22. But listen, Christian, be careful. Be ever, ever, ever so careful to not put this sin above some other sin. Don't judge another person based on this sin. Because God doesn't. God doesn't. 
And there's only one sin that will keep you from going to hell. There's only one, and that's rejecting Jesus Christ. It's not this sin. Again, you've heard a lot of sermons on that, and we'll, we'll get to, to that by the end of the study. I'll get there. I've got to go quick here. Verse 6, verse 6, just continuing here with Lot's compromising life. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, and he, he shut the door behind him, and he said, please, my brethren. Who's he talking to right now? All these wicked people, young and old, from outside the city in every quarter. He says, my brethren, wow, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Well, we all know what that means. I'm so glad that the Bible's discreet. Please, let me bring them out to you that you may do to them as you wish. Only don't touch these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof for protection. I, I'm protecting them from you guys. And then notice they said there, and again, these men, they, they are overpowering the simple and feeble Lot is like, oh, don't hurt him. Uh, I brought him a house. I want him to be saving. Uh, I don't want to offend you. I, don't, I, don't, I want to be PC correct. I don't want to call you homosexual. I, I just want to be, I don't want to offend you. That, that's what I see when I read this. Notice what they say in verse 9. Stand back. Get out of the way. And then they said, again, he's a public official. He's a rich He's the main gazane in town. He, he knows the, the king. Remember, he saved the king of Sodom. He knows the king. The people know that he knows the king. He, that's why he's got this seat in the, the front of the city there. This one came in to stay here. This is what the people say about, about Lot. This one came in to stay here. This guy that's talking to us right now, this mealy-mouthed little pipsqueak, he came to stay here. And he acts like he's in judgment of it. He acts like he's better than we are. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. They start threatening him. It, very interesting. So they pressed hard against the man Lot. In other words, they, they wanted through his, him, they were going to do whatever it took to get beyond him. And they came near to break down the door. Now, Sodom is really kind of a quick snapshot, just a little picture, if you would, of a society without God. They'd rejected God, and they had morally declined into these people that could care less about human life. They could care less about it. It starts with abortion. It ends up, you know, with homosexuality that's just, that's, that's paraded, and it's so good, and it's wonderful. They just, you know, transgender, and you can be what you want now. You, it doesn't matter what... God gave you. It doesn't matter physically what you have. You can be whatever you think. It's called relativism. It's postmodernism in our current society. It's, it's people saying that they can be whatever they think, whatever they feel like. The truth of the matter is God has a standard. He has a truth. These people rejected God. They now were doing whatever they thought they could do. They took law and order into their own hands. They were going to you know, totally blow away the public official and go into his house. Again, they had no respect for Lot. They had no respect for Lot's morality. Why? Why was Lot, this man that was declared righteous in the New Testament, right? 
Why, was Lot, why did Lot lose his testimony? What happened to his testimony in this town? He had compromised. Christian, I, I had to answer the same question, so you get it tonight. Are you compromising in the way you live around non-believers? Has your testimony for Jesus Christ been compromised because of what you say, what you drink, how you act, where you live, where you go? And other people look, you're no different than I am. And when you share, I, I'm a, but I'm a Christian, I love Jesus Christ. You know, and you do whatever it is you do that you know is against biblical standards. And they look at you and they say, if you're a Christian, I don't want to be one. I believe that Christians are their worst enemy. The Holy Spirit's true, God is true, God is working, and he wants to work in the lost. But we, the church, the church, we need to be you know, judgment begins right here in this house. We, we need to look at inside, in, internally, and, and clean up and be pure. And that's, remember the theme of 1 John, the last two studies in 1 John. Keep yourself pure until he comes. Don't be ashamed when he returns, remember? It's all about living a pure and holy life so that we can have a testimony for the lost. Unfortunately here, it's Lot who has lost his testimony with all the people. He's lived a life of compromise. And these people are his buddy, his pals. Hey, brothers, brothers, come on. That's what he, that's what he said, right, in the text? Brothers. I just appear, wait, 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 wait. You can have my girls. Don't, don't touch these men. Wow. What? A, I mean, he has lost everything. It seems like he's lost it to me. Again, when I read this, my opinion would be he's not saved. But... The Bible declares that he was a righteous man, right? Interesting. He's lived a life of, of uh, compromise. And instead of respecting Lot in his ways, they have no respect for him. Somebody said this, sin destroys families through poor choices and immoral fathers. Dads, men, we have a responsibility to live a holy life before our children. To be an example of the believer before our kids because if we don't do that, we're not, a t we're not only a bad testimony to the people around us, but, but to our family. And one other thing here before we move on. Christians in America need to understand that we're surrounded with all kinds of immorality, sexual sin. And it includes fornication, that's sex before marriage. Pastor Lee, it's just, you know, everybody's doing it. All the other kids do at my age. And there's a lot of young people here. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're going to mess up your life. God says to wait. God has the perfect person. You wait for that person. When you do, when you honor the Lord, he'll honor you. And my wife and I, as we grew up in the church, and we had, I've told you this before, we had pastors that, I had a youth pastor and I didn't fear him. I loved my, I, I still love him. Lauren Marner was his name. And Pastor Lauren, to me, was my mentor. And I remember he, he every once in a while, he'd pull me aside. We'd be sitting together in church yesterday, you know, really close. I mean, that was me. That wasn't her. I think she was moving, and I was moving closer. <laughs> and I remember my youth pastor coming and saying, you know, you better be careful with this. Satan can get a hold of this and he can ruin your life. He can ruin your relationship. He can ruin you forever. Do not do it. And he, I mean, I knew what it was. I knew it. 16, 17. We've, Esther and I have known each other since we were, we argue about this, 14. 
I got the, I got the yes nod. <laughs> Although I came to the church 13 and I saw her, but she didn't know me until we were 14, so. <laughs> Boy, I that was one reason I stayed at that church. <laughs> Tell you what. And she still goes to the same church that I go to. That's an, it's an amazing thing. 39 years of marriage. And, but, but we were told, she had parents, and I had a youth pastor that said, don't do it, don't do it. Fornication, adultery. There's no difference between adultery and homosexuality. If you've committed adultery, but you have a real problem with homosexuals, then you've got a problem. There's no difference. It's, it's immorality, fornication. Adultery, homosexuality, the list goes on and on. Pedophilia, pornography. Men, if you're dealing with pornography in any way, you're, you're, you're wrong. You're sinning. And you're, guess what? The law of reaping and sowing is going to come to effect in your life. It's going to happen. Well, I, I can't feel God's blessing, and I, I'm always upset, and you, I don't have any peace, Pastor. Well, stop looking at pornography. Admit these other things are sin. Stop it. That's what the scripture tells us. How about, you, you go, oh, gee, I'm good, I'm good. I, I didn't commit any of those. Boy, I'm safe tonight. But you watch R-rated movies and see all these different people having, you know, these affairs and whatever they call them, adulterous relationships on TV, and you watch it and you marvel at it and you pay for it. Is that a good thing? Should we pollute our minds, Christians, with all this stuff? I, again, pastor, get off the soapbox. Okay, I'll, I'll get off the soapbox. But you understand what I'm saying here. We're living in a corrupt place with all this stuff going on. Listen to what Griffith Thomas, one of my favorite uh, authors, by the way, says. And I, I, quote, I have the quote up behind me. A ship in the water is perfectly right, but water in the ship is perfectly wrong. Do you understand what he's saying there? Yeah. Christian, do you understand that? Don't let that water get in your ship. It'll take you down. It'll sink you. We have to live a pure and holy life. The Christian in the world is right and necessary, but the world in the Christian is wrong and disastrous. Compromise. Lot is the poster boy for compromise. Now, I wonder how many people in Sodom said, if that hypocrite Lot is a believer then I don't want any part of it. Or, or maybe some of the people in, in Sodom said, I'm, better, I'm a better person than that phony lot. He says one thing, but does something entirely different. Listen, young Christians, listen, don't compromise. Don't pollute your minds with nasty TV. Don't watch stuff. Just separate yourself from it. it you've got to separate yourself from those things. And Lot illustrates a Christian who's living a weak and compromising life. For himself, he's very self-centered, making a lot of money, sitting in Sodom's gates. Even, even worse, it takes him to this, and you, you think you'd never do it. Lot offers his daughters to these homosexuals. Can you imagine? That's how far he's gone. He's compromised. Now notice here, let's move on from here. Notice the angels save Lot. The angels come and save him. But the men, the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house. The men, these two angels that were men, they were behind the door listening to what's going on. Probably could see it all too. And so they reach outside beyond the door and they pull Lot. They rescue Lot. They bring him in the house, shut the door. Verse 11, then they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness. Both 
the young and the old, the great and the small, so that they became weary trying to find the door. They, they're blind, and they're still trying to get to them. I mean, think about that. And it was, it was time. It took time for them to beat on the door and try to find the handle and shake it. In their blindness, they were trying, and they finally got tired and walked away. I mean, the depravity of these individuals. These people had spiritual blindness. They couldn't see. They were made blind now physically, and they still continued, continued. It's amazing. Verse 12, the, then the men, this is the angel, said to Lot, have you anyone else in this city? Do you have anyone else you love in this city? Any family members, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place. Why? Why were they being destroyed? Because of this story. I mean, this illustrates the whole reason. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot, verse 14, went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. So he goes to his son-in-laws and he says, get up out of this place. So these aren't the two inside the house. These are other daughters that married and left the house. These are son-in-laws. It doesn't say how many there were, but he has other son-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, hey, you guys got to leave. The the Lord's going to destroy the city. But to his son-in-law, he seemed to be joking. He had no testimony with them. His life was so compromised that even his sons-in-laws, those close to his family, thought, whatever, you're you're such a jerk. You're such a phony. You, You say, do as I do, but not as I, or do as I say, but not as I do. You're that kind of Christian that, that you tell me that you're righteous, but then you live an unrighteous life. I'm not listening to you. You're a phony. And his sons-in-law, sons-in-law seem to be joking. Again, that's the result of Lot's life of compromise. They didn't believe when he told They just laughed at him. They had no respect for this man that compromised in every way of, in his life. The sad truth is Lot, is going to be saved. But his life, his riches, his stuff, his house, his wife, he's going to lose it all. It's really sad. The angels have to drag him away. Look at verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. So the sun comes up and Lot's dilly-dallying. Lot's not taking this seriously. Lot's still like, oh, I wonder if we can work this out. Oh, I wonder, oh. I just see such a wimp. He's a spiritual wimp at this point in his life. Arise and take your wife and your two daughters, the angels say, who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of this city. And while he lingered, the men, men had to grab him by the hand and grab his wife's hand and take the hands of his daughters and race out of the city, the Lord being merciful to him. They brought him out and set him outside the city. So Lot lingered there. He didn't want to leave. Here's the application. The wife didn't want to leave. The kids didn't want, after that episode, the night before, and they don't want to leave. They thought they were protected in their big house. They thought their money would save them. They had put their trust in everything but the Lord at this point in time. And Lot had compromised so much that he didn't even recognize the Lord's voice in this whole thing. He he was just totally undecided. He lingered. I I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. There was no Bible in him. There was no truth in him. 
or very little, I should say, truth in him. He couldn't distinguish right from wrong. He, he's really a, a sad, sad person that's conformed to the world. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? And our minds are renewed with what? The Bible. We have to renew our minds. If we want to know the truth and we want to be discerning, then we have to know the Bible. Now, here it is, the escape from Sodom. My next point, verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. So they get out of town. The angels had drug them out of town. They set them in a safe distance. Say, now you run and don't look back. Get out of here. Run as fast as you can. This is going to be cataclysmic here. You need to escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said, verse 18, please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest something evil overtake me and I die. Gee, what a faithless man. He is scared to death. He, he, he can't go back. He wants to go back, but he can't go back there, and he doesn't want to go to the mountains. He has, there's some marauders up there, and they might hurt me. The, they, might, they might mug me up there. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's just a little one. This is Gomorrah. Please let me escape there. Is it not a, a little city? Can I just go there? Please, please, can I go, Please. And my soul shall live. I, I'm embellishing, of course. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoor. So he goes past Gomorrah, and he goes to this other little small city called Zoor. That, we, uh, that city was also uh, saved. The king of that city was saved when... Uh, Abraham went and went against Ketalorimar, King Cheese, I call him. Ketalorimar is his name. And, and remember, Abraham went against him back in chapter 14. Then we have this story. This is the other part of the story. This is important. Let's, let's quickly move through this. Lot's wife looked back in verse 23. Then the sun had risen upon the earth. So it's the morning. The angels get him out of town. The sun's coming up. Lot enters the oar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. So in other words, green, life, trees, bushes, everything got consumed, burned up. But his wife, verse 26, looked back behind him, and instantly she died. She turned into a pillar of salt. She looked back. That word there in the Hebrew means she looked back intently. I, I, I miss my home. I want to go back. I, I just want to go back. You know, some people say that she got out of town by the angels, and then from that moment she turned and ran. I've got a picture here. I love this picture. It's kind of hard to see on here, but there's the fire and brimstone coming down, you know, and there's ruins, and, and there's three people over here on this side, the two daughters and Lot, and then way down here, and then here's, I love the way the art, artist does this. Zap, pillar of salt. I love that. Don't you love that? I thought it was a cool picture. 
But, but here, here's the points here. Let's do these points really quick. Why did Lot's wife look back? And this is not just for women. This is for everybody. But let's look at this really quick. Number one, she had her eyes on the wrong things. The reason that she went back and wasn't following her husband because she had her eyes on the wrong thing. She loved her life in Sodom more than she loved God. She loved her things, her house, her stuff, her way, her, her, all the things, the accoutrements around her, the things that made her feel comfortable. She loved those more than she loved God. Interesting. She knew who God was. Because she had a husband that was a righteous man, remember? He, he must have talked about God. But she loved her life in Sodom more. God was not important to her. So she had her eyes on the wrong things. Number two, she looked back in disbelief. She didn't believe what the angels had just told her. Do not look back. She was commanded not. She didn't believe it. Christian, do you believe every word of God? Do you obey every word of God? This is a great example for that. If you, in disbelief, say, you know, God told me that, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody turn into a pillar of salt lately, but I do know this. I know this. There's a law, and it's the law of reaping and what? Sowing. Sowing. That's the law. You disobey that law, and you're, you're going to pay. You're going to pay for it some way. And then the third reason she looked back is her disobedience. She was commanded not to. She just disobeyed. She disbelieved and she disobeyed. She never believed in her husband's God. Somebody said this, her body was out of Sodom, but her heart was still there. Wow. Tells a lot about her. There's no doubt she is responsible for her own demise. She made her own choice. But here, men, can I just take a moment, just real quick, it's getting close to quitting time here, but I have this application for you men. Is your wife more spiritual because of you or in spite of you? Is your wife more spiritual because you pray for her and encourage her and get her, help her to church, you know? Encourage her to be spiritual, be a part of the women's ministry, be a part of the growing body of Christ. Is she more spiritual or is it doesn't matter who you are because you're just so lame and like Lot, you've compromised and she's spiritual because she has this great relationship with God and she's moving forward. Listen, men, you're here in this room. I'm not talking about the men that aren't here. Don't judge the husbands of the women that are here tonight. Just look at your own heart right now. Look at your heart. I have to look at mine and ask the question, is your wife more spiritual because or in spite of you? I think it's a valid, valid question. Now, Side note, a real quick side note about Sodom and Gomorrah. They believe they found the city in what's known as southern Jordan, um, down way in the southwestern uh, portion uh, by the Dead Sea. There's, a, there's some ancient ruins they found there. And there's a geologist. His name is, I got his name, oh, Frederick Clapp. You can look him up if you want. Frederick Clapp, Google his name. Um, he is a geologist that found the ruins of an ancient city that roofs collapsed, and they, he found evidence of burning from the top down, not from the bottom up. Interesting. In this location, there's a real strong, uh, a real large fault. This guy's a geologist. He followed the fault. He read the Bible, followed this fault. Where are the faults around here? And in the fault, in the bottom of these faults, we all know there's a lot of what? What is there a lot of in the Middle East? There's a lot of oil, right? 
there's a lot of this pitch or this, it's, um, it's like tar. And if there was a big earthquake and God brought these two plates together like this, and what's going to squirt out in the air? That, this is kind of a summarization, maybe, I don't know, it's a theory by this geologist, that this bitumen, this asphalt, just blew out of the ground because the city was near a fault, and all this burning stuff came down and ignited and burnt everything, the town destroying it all. Interesting theory. Lot's wife, again, she's an example of a counterfeit Christian. Remember, I mentioned that at the beginning of our study. And I say that, and I don't want you to turn to Luke 17 really quick. I want to show you why I, I'm saying that. Turn to Luke 17 really quick. Because in Luke 17, Lot's wife becomes this example of someone we're not to be. And it's right here in the, in the words of Jesus. Because Jesus, he's answering a question about the kingdom. When is it coming? And he says, it's going to happen. It's going to come suddenly. In, in Luke 17, verse 24, Jesus compares the sudden coming, the second coming of Christ, like this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part of the heaven shines to the other, Luke 17, 24, uh, part under heaven. So also the Son of Man will be in his day. This is the second coming of Christ. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate and they drank and they bought and they sold, they planted, they built. But on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? He's answering the question. When are you coming back? Pharisees trying to trap him. When are you going to come back? What's it going to be like? Come on, tell us. So Jesus is saying, this is, it's going to come suddenly and it's going to be just like Noah and it's going to be just like Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing when I'm revealed. Verse 31, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. And then verse 32, what's it say? Why does Jesus say, remember Lot's wife? Why? She looked back. She lived, she lived with this man of compromise, and she never, ever believed. She was a counterfeit. She lived in the home of a Christian. She never was. Christian meaning, and loosely, I'm saying that loosely, you understand, by this righteous man. Interesting. She is an example of disbelief and disobedience. Remember Lot's wife. That's Jesus' warning, warning to you and I tonight, to men and to women. Remember his wife. Remember what happened to her. She couldn't get Sodom out of her heart. She wanted to go back. She wanted to go back into sin. She wanted to go back and live in that filth. She wanted to go back and live in that society. Christian, think about it. You know, don't apply this to San Bernardino. Don't. Don't do that. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying don't be like Lot's wife and don't love the world and, and evil and, and, and impure things and immoral things. Don't love those things. Don't look there. So Abram discovers Sodom's destruction. Let's go and finish this. Go back to Genesis 19, verse 27. It says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. 
And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Here we have this man, lived a life of compromise. He sits in the city's seat of authority. And my last point here, that's where we started with him in this story, my last point, from councilman to caveman. Look at verse 30. Then Lot went up out of Zeor to the mountains. Remember, he was fearing the mountains. So he goes to the mountains, and to him and his daughters were with him. For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come to us as the custom of the earth. Come. Notice the depravity of these two girls. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. What a, what a tragedy. Talk about a family that is dysfunctional, a family that is living in sin, all because of this man that lived a compromising life. And I emphasize men. I emphasize fathers. There's a lot of you fathers in here. You need to learn from this story. You need to understand this. We are to set a tone of righteousness in our homes. Their father had failed to obey God in Sodom and Lot had compromised in every way in his life. And the result of their sin, look at what it is, the, the birth of these two boys, Moab and Ammon, verse 33. So they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and lay with her father and did not, he didn't know, he was drunk, he didn't know when she laid down and when she got up. It happened on the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I, I'm going to lay, I laid with my father last night, let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. I kind of, when I read this, I think this, his, part of his compromise, this is just my uninspired thinking, that he was a drunkard, that he drank when he was in Sodom, that he drank wine. He had liberty to do it. I don't know where you land in that. I don't have the liberty to do that because I think it's wrong, and I don't think anything good comes from drinking. I don't care what the amount is or what the occasion is. I don't think anything good comes from drinking. I can be, you can put me on record for saying that. I'm not ashamed to say that. I've seen people, I know Christians, that their lives have been ruined because of alcohol. And so in this scripture here, they have these children the firstborn bore a son, verse 37, called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites. Whenever you read the Old Testament, the Moabites are always a problem to who? Who are they a problem to? Israel. They're always a problem. And then the younger, she also bore a son, verse 38, and called his name Ben-Ami. He's the father of the people of Ammon. So you have Moab and Ammon, the Ammonites. The Ammonites, they were always a problem for Israel too. Sodom stands in the scripture as a symbol for depravity. There is absolutely no doubt. The fact that God will judge sin is evident in this. And here's the last point I want to make because I'm running out of time. God judges sin. And the sin of homosexuality is just another in a list of sin. And you can say, and you can come and argue that it's worse than this, it's worse than that. But there is no sin that God cannot forgive, and that includes that 
sin, like adultery, homosexual immorality. Jesus said this, and I want you to see this scripture. This is really important. Look at this scripture, Matthew 10. Jesus said, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Remember, Jesus had said that you disciples, I want you to go and share Jesus to the lost. Go to the lost and tell them about me. And if you go into a city and they reject you and you, they give you a hard time and they beat you up and kick you out, as you walk and leave the city, don't even take dust, remember? Take your shoes and... That was a symbol in Israel that, you know, I have nothing to do with you. I'm washing my hands of you. I, I, you know, it was a symbol of disgust and I'm leaving and, I, you know, I don't agree with what you are. And Jesus said, do that. And then he said this, Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that was nothing compared to my wrath poured out upon that individual that's sinning and that rejects me. That, that's what God is saying. It's the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then you will go to hell. And hell will be filled with religious people. I'm going to talk about lost people. There's a lot of religious people that are going to be in hell. Because they have this, I paid my dues, I've checked my list, I've done my little religious duty. I go, I've heard Pastor Lee or Pastor whoever, and, and that was hard enough. I, I endured that, so I deserve heaven. When you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe who he is, the son of God, the savior, the Messiah, when you believe that, that's when you are born again and that's when you become his child and that's when God separates you from everything around you and, and makes you his own by believing in Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, this word it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day in judgment for that city, for those people that reject me. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the fellowship tonight, and I believe that most here tonight are believers. But Lord, there might be someone here tonight that has never believed in Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit has spoken through the word of God tonight, through your word, and and there's a conviction, there's a sense of loss, there's a sense of, of I need something more. If that's you tonight, you need to put your faith in Christ, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. You need to believe him. He alone can save. Yes, turn from your wicked ways. Yes, repent. And he will forgive, yes. But you have to believe in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that as you do that work in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, maybe someone viewing the, the uh, internet this evening, by your Holy Spirit, that you would do that work that only you can do in saving those that believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust in Jesus Christ with your whole heart. Father, do that work. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful study through this Old Testament book where we see over and over the work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we as people would not be compromising. We would separate ourselves from sin so that we could have a testimony and we would see more people, the lost around us, saved. Lord, do what you and you alone can only do. In Jesus we pray. Amen.